0: we are wrapping up this series called Apps for Life. We're taking a look at the technology we use and kind of giving it a a critical look, a more critical eye, and just asking what the values are that are kind of embedded underneath all of that. And so as we come to this last week, I think it's only right that we take a moment to allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us this morning. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that long before any of us was here, long before we knew what the topic would be, what, long before a sermon was written, that you, Lord, have been in this place preparing to meet with us. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here now in our midst. And we ask that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us this morning. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So part of the reason why we're doing this, part of the reason we're taking kind of a close look at this one aspect of our culture, the APPS culture, um, is because of the fact that, that God's word tells us that we should think wisely about how we live in the world. St. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians five fifteen to 16. He says, think carefully then about how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. See, what Paul is saying is he's saying we live in a world where there are constantly things seeking to grab our attention. That there's this battle going on for our hearts, for our attention, for our affection. And what he says is the answer is not to withdraw from the world, but to think wisely about it. To, to engage with our culture in a thoughtful and wise and intentional way. And so that's really what we've been doing in this series. We've been looking at the fact that we live in a culture where we are surrounded by technology, where we have apps on the phones that we carry in our pockets. We have notifications that happen every single day, often every minute of the day going on. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is how is that shaping us? But furthermore, how is that a reflection of what we value? And so we've looked at some popular apps. We looked at the camera app and the Amazon app and the calendar app. And with each week, we've asked the question, what does this app say about who we are and about what we value? We've designed these things for a reason. And so they reveal a little bit about the state of our heart. And so we've been asking the question, well, well, what do they reveal? And how might God's words speak into that? Because smartphones and apps, those things aren't bad things. They can often be tools, tools used for good. But remember, the encouragement from Scripture is to think wisely about how we use them. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at one more app, but we're kind of doing a twist with this one. It's an app that everybody has access to, and yet few people use. Or that many people use, but maybe not as regularly as they would like. We're actually talking about the Bible app. And as I've been thinking about this this message and thinking about the the gift of the Bible, it really got me uh, thinking about the parable that we read a little bit earlier on in our service, this story that Jesus tells uh, in Mark chapter 4. See, Jesus is gathered together, uh, and he's he's been preaching and teaching to crowds of people. And as he uh, gets up to teach, this is what he says. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And Jesus' disciples kind of go up to Jesus after he tells that story, and they're just like, hey, Jesus, why are you telling us stories about farming? What's the deal with the sower? And Jesus goes on, and he kind of explains the story. He says, well, the seed, the seed is the word of God. And the sower goes out and he spreads the word of God. And some of it, and, and, and people respond to that word differently. Some of them are like the seed that fell on the road. And because it's hard, the, the birds come and they snatch up the seed. The enemy comes and snatches up the seed before it can take root. And some of it falls on uh, rocky soil. And, and their roots, uh, sp- they spring up really quick, but their roots don't go deep. And so when trials and difficulties come along and the sun comes up, they kind of burn out. And other people are like the seed that's sown among thorns. Where the, where the cares of this world, they grow up like weeds and thorns around it and they choke out the seed. And then there's other people who receive the word of God and it bears fruit. Now, down through the centuries, preachers have looked at this text and have preached countless sermons on it because there's a lot that could be said about this parable. There's a ton of detail that we could go into and talk about, but there's one detail this morning that I really want to focus on, and that is the sower of the seed. Because when you look at the sower of the seed, what it seems like is it seems like he's actually kind of a wasteful sower. Because this image that Jesus gives to us of the sower is of a man who goes out, he's got his bag of seed, and he just starts throwing it everywhere. Okay, he throws it and it falls on the road. He throws it and it falls on rocky soil. He throws it and it falls among thorns. Then he throws it and it lands in his field where it actually grows. This isn't a picture of the sower carefully going along and making sure the seed is just in the right furrows. Or just going around the edges and making sure that it only lands in his field. This is a person who is chucking the seed everywhere. And it almost seems like a waste, But then Jesus tells us that the sower is sowing the word of God. And suddenly the picture flips. Because we realize that this sower is not wasteful. This sower is unbelievably generous. He desires that every single person, regardless of who they are and what their spiritual posture is, would receive the word of God. He goes out and he gives it to everybody. It's a beautiful picture of the generosity of God in proclaiming his word to all people. God wants people to know about him, and so he gives it away freely. And as I thought about this parable, and I've thought about how Christians have interpreted it down through the centuries, I'm amazed because I really think it's because we've taken this parable to heart that the Bible has become one of the best-selling books of all time. That if you were actually to go to Wikipedia, for example, and you were just to type in the Holy Bible, what the article will tell you is that as they've looked at the Bible since it's been printed, that it's sold more than 5 billion copies. And that each year over 100 million copies of the Bible are sold. I also, somebody told this to me after the last service, they said it's also the most commonly stolen book. Okay, which means people are actually trying to take this thing. I mean, it's an incredibly popular book. It continually is on the bestseller list. It has been translated into countless languages. And I think the reason why is because Christians have taken the parable of the sower, and they've said, just as God has been generous in giving us his word, so we are going to try and put the scriptures into the hands of as many people as possible. In fact, Barna, when they were doing some research on the state of the Bible in America, noted this that 88 percent of households own a Bible, and that 4.7 is the average number of Bibles per household. Just in this country, we have unprecedented access to this, but then it gets even crazier than that, because in 2006, a church called Life Church decided that they were going to put the Bible onto an app. Something that you could download and put on your mobile device, whether it's a tablet or a smartphone. And since the year 2006, this is how many times that app has been downloaded. It has been downloaded 279,968,526 times. Now that's from the ticker on their website. I grabbed that on Thursday, so it's already higher than that. But furthermore, in that app, it has 1,523 versions available and it supports 1,093 languages. And guess what? It's free. You can download it for free. We in this country today have an unprecedented level of access to God's word, unlike anything that's happened in the history of the human race. We have Bibles in every home. They're in hotel rooms, and you can download them for free on any mobile device. That includes you, too, Android users. Good news. That's about it. Good news. But, see, we have an unprecedented level of access to this, and yet yet Barna found that most people actually don't read the Bible very often. That in this very same study, the state of the Bible in America, they were finding that Bible readership is down. And that made me think of just another story from Scripture. And it's a story that comes to us from uh, the book of Second Kings. See, here's what had been happening up to this point. There's a new king on the throne, and his name is Josiah. And up to Josiah's reign, the people of God, the Israelites, had actually been turning their backs on God. They've wandered away from him. They've they've stopped worshiping God in the temple, and they've been worshiping other, other gods. They've been worshiping other idols. And Josiah comes to the throne, and he decides, no, I'm going to restore the temple of God. I want God to be the center of our people's life together. I want us to be worshiping in the temple once more. And so he ends up giving tons of money to the, to the priests and to his secretary. And he says, I want you to, to, to restore the temple. I want you to go back in and kind of rehabilitate it, you know, refurbish it. And what's really fascinating is so they go in and they, they do what he says and they start kind of refurbishing the temple. And as they're cleaning the temple out and, and they're working on it, they discover something. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary I have found the book of the law in the temple of the lord And he gave it to Shaphan who read it and then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and he reported to him Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors at the temple And then Shaphan the secretary informed the king. Oh and Hilkiah the priest has given me a book And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king, and when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. See, what had happened is that the, see, the book of the law, when when it says the book of law, it's referring to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's talking about these words that God gave to his people when he delivered them from slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. These were words that God gave to his people so that they would, number one, know who he is, but then, number two, know what it means to have a relationship with him, to be his people. But the book had gotten lost. People no longer read it. And so when Josiah finally hears the words of God being read again, he tears his clothes because he realizes we've been neglecting our relationship with God. I mean, think about this. Josiah is the king. He is one of the people, one of the leaders who is supposed to lead God's people in knowing what it means to follow him. And yet he too is ignorant of God's word and he just tears his robes in grief. And then his next response is he calls all the people together and he reads the book of the law in their hearing and he renews the covenant. He reestablishes the relationship between God and his people. See, his response isn't just to lament and to be upset. His response is to repent, to turn the people back to God, and to to once more hear the words of God being read, reading the scriptures together. But one of the details that I find so fascinating about this story is, notice where the book of the law was lost. Where was it lost? In the temple. The book of the law was lost in the one place where it should be easy to find it. The book of the law is lost in the place where people should be most familiar with it. And yet if you look at the stats of readership in America, when it comes to the Bible, what you wonder is you have to wonder, have we lost the book of the law? Have we lost God's word in the very place where it should be easy to find? Has God's word gotten lost among his people? Again, doing a little bit of research, getting ready for this message, I found that a quarter of American adults haven't read a book in whole or in part in the last year. That's not just the Bible, that's any book. That we as a culture, our readership is going down. But then, as you get to the stats about Bible reading, it's not that much more encouraging. Because while 88% of households have a Bible and 4.7 is the average number of Bibles per household, only 37% of Americans reported reading the Bible once a week or more. Only 37%. And again, I ask the question, has God's word gotten lost among God's people? How did we get to this place where we have unprecedented access to the scriptures? in multiple versions, in languages that we can understand, and just barely a third of us actually read it. Why is that? Well, I think that there are several reasons. I think the first reason is actually overfamiliarity. Think about this for a second. Let's just think about water for a moment, okay? Water is pretty easy for us to get in our culture today. I mean, when I woke up this morning, I was able to get out of bed and I was able, able to take my glass and not simply get water from the tap. I was able to actually take water from the tap and put it into a Brita filter and then like pour myself a nice, cool, clean glass of water and take a drink. And then when I was done with that, I was able to go into the bathroom and I was able to turn on a shower. And I was actually able to adjust the water level so it was like my perfect temperature. And I could stand there for like 20 minutes and just enjoy it. And then I was able to get out of the shower and dry off. And and using water and and toothpaste, I could brush my teeth. Yes, I brushed my teeth this morning. See, Mom and Dad? (laughs) Just this morning, I was able to just take advantage of water. Now, think about it for a second. We require, as a species, water to survive. That if you go more than a day without water, you run the risk of death. And in the summer, you know, your chances go down even more because it's hot out. But imagine I were to go... I were to go to a country where water is scarce. Where they have to walk a mile each way to get fresh water. And they only have enough water that they can carry. I mean, that's, that's their water for the day. is what they can put on their heads or put in jugs to carry back home. And I were to tell them, what if I could put a device in your home that with the turn of a handle you could have fresh drinking water anytime you wanted? what would their reaction be? They would fall over themselves in gratitude. Are, are you serious? We can have water anytime we want? Like, we can, we can drink it. We can cook with it safely. We can bathe in it and then toss it out. We can, we can do that with water. They would be ecstatic. They would be overjoyed. They would be thrilled because they know that the thing they need for their survival is right there at their fingertips. And yet, I'll be honest, when I woke up this morning and I took that drink of water and I took my shower and I brushed my teeth, I didn't once think about what a privilege it was to have it. Not once. It's because I'm a little overfamiliar with it, that I've taken this gift for granted. And I think the same is true with Scripture. You type in that phrase, take for granted, into Google, and this is what it says. It says, to fail to properly appreciate someone or something, especially as the result of over-familiarity. I think part of the reason we don't read it is because we're over-familiar with it. We take it for granted. I can put it off because I I can look at it tomorrow. I've got it on my phone. But I think that there are other reasons why we often don't take advantage of this great gift God has given us. Jesus outlines several of them in his parable about the, about the sower and about the word. He said that there are several responses. There are several reasons why the word just gets choked out in our daily lives. And in fact, if you just go to the statistics for a moment, 62% of Americans surveyed by Barna said that they wished they read the Bible more. And the reasons that they gave for not reasoning it were the following. 58% said that they were too busy. 17% became atheists or agnostics. And 12% said that they had a crisis in their life that damaged their faith. These are some of the reasons why we don't read God's word. And yet, as I look at that list, does that sound familiar? 58% said that they were too busy. Some were like seeds sown among thorns and, when they hear, uh, and hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word. 17% said that they became atheists or agnostics. Some people are like seeds sown on the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, the enemy comes and takes away the word that was sown in them so that it can't, it can't grow roots. Twelve percent said they had a crisis in their life that damaged their faith. Some were like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word at once and receive it with joy, but when trouble or persecution come, they fall away. There are many reasons why the word doesn't bear, bear, doesn't take root in our lives. Why it doesn't bear fruit. Sometimes it's over familiarity and neglect. Sometimes it's snatched away. Sometimes it hasn't gone deep enough and burns up when life gets difficult. Sometimes we're just too darn busy with other things. And yet the heart of God remains the same. The sower goes out and he sows his seed generously. And oftentimes, when people come to me and they say, I'm in a dry point in my life, I just don't feel close to God, the question that I often ask is, So, what is your time in God's word? What does that time look like? Because God is sowing his seed generously. And this is a reminder to us not to condemn us, not to make us feel guilty, but to simply say, God's heart is the same. He sows his word generously, he's put it at your fingertips. And his invitation to us, like Josiah, is to turn, to once more hear the words of God being spoken, to read them, to rejoice in them, to let them go deep. That's the invitation. The question is why? Why does God want us to read his word so much? Is it so that we would know his laws? So we'd have another list of do's and do nots? Does he call us to read his word so that we get our act in gear? Does he call us to read his word so that we're accepted into heaven, so that we're a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more holy than the people around us? No, that's not the reason God calls us to read his word, not at all. The reason God calls us to read his word is because of this. John chapter 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God calls us to read his word because in the pages of scripture, we learn about his ultimate word to us. That he was willing to come into the world to become one of us, to live with us, to serve us, to die for us, and rise again so that we might have eternal life. You see, the way we look at scripture is not as a rule book, nor as a guide for life. We look at scripture as a collection of letters, letters of love from God who sows his word generously so that we might know that we are precious in his sight. That the pages of scripture from beginning to end are a story about the God who desires to dwell with his people. And that that story is brought to its fullness, to its climax, to its beautiful conclusion in Jesus Christ. The word made flesh. God who entered into our world because as I go through the pages of scripture, that's what I see. I see God in his love serving, caring, healing, and restoring, forgiving, and calling, ultimately dying and rising again so that we might have life eternal. Jesus told his disciples that all of the scriptures point to me because on every single page in every letter, there is Christ showing us the love of God who pursues us and who desires that we would live life and live it abundantly with him now and into eternity. That's the reason we read scripture. And as we learn about the love of God and as we understand who we are in his sight, it does bear fruit. We sang that beautiful psalm, Psalm 1, at the very beginning of our, uh, of our readings this, this morning. And one of the things that that, that psalm tells us, is, it says, Blessed is the man who, who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water, whose leaf does not wither and who bears its fruit in season. Saying that when I understand that I am loved by God, Then, when I allow that word to go deep, when I spend time in it, what I hear is I hear those words of grace to me over and over again, and it causes my roots to go deep. It helps me to bear dry seasons, it helps me to produce fruit at the proper time. And it doesn't cost you or I anything. In fact, Barna noted that of the adults who, whose Bible readership went up in the past year, a quarter of them said it was because I put the Bible on my phone. But the point is, whether you read it on your phone or you read it on your computer or you read it in physical hard copy, the point is simply this. God has given that to you as a gift. His word is a gift that you may have life and have it abundantly, that, you, that, your, leaves, that your leaves might not wither and that you would bear fruit in season. Because when I realize in that word that God is a God of love, a God of forgiveness, a God of new beginnings, a God of eternal life, it does change how I live. It helps me reevaluate my priorities in life. That when I have a relationship with Jesus, his outward focus becomes my outward focus. It allows me to turn away from myself and turn toward others that when I know that everything that I have in God is, is enough, the generosity of Christ becomes my generosity. And likewise, when I know I have life eternal and that God redeems me for a purpose, it teaches me to number my days and to use my time wisely and well. But all of that is simply the fruit of that relationship with God, the God who sows his word generously that we might know him. And know that we are loved by him. And so my encouragement this week is don't be discouraged. If you've fallen off the wagon of Bible reading, God sows his word generously. Download it. Pick it up. Read. Because I promise you that in those words, you will hear what we spoke about just earlier, that in Christ, he is the one who has the words of eternal life. And I pray that as we grow deep in our relationship with him, others who are hungry might receive the fruit and the overflow. That as they see God at work in our lives, they too might wonder, how can I find him? And we can say, you have access to him right here. And that we too might point them to God's word. We give thanks to Jesus Christ, who is indeed the word who became flesh and dwelled among us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a generous God. That you give your words to us, not so that we would be confused, not so that we would be burdened. You give your words to us because in them you reveal your heart, your love for us. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to get back in that word. That Lord, you would help that word to grow deep in our hearts. That it would bear much fruit. That not only we would experience a renewed relationship with you, but that others in our lives would know that relationship through us. So Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. May it indeed bear fruit. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, that we say, amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ? Or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number 4, and the letter u.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.